So it sounds like corporate career is like, you're killing it. What changed? What led you to step away? About 2015, I started to feel like I was just checking the box, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was chasing other people's idea of success. I had the, the money, the house, the cars, the vacations, traveling, all of that. And I remember one day just feeling like, is this it? And then I felt bad for wanting more right? mm. because I felt like you're, I was doing well. And I mean, I was, I was in my twenties at this point, I was doing really well. I was already making six figures. I had went to grass, like everything, like on paper, I should have been satisfied. So I felt mm -hmm. this sense of guilt for wanting more. And in 2016, I remember coming back from maternity leave and driving into work and crying all the way there. And thinking about all the memories that I was going to miss. And my husband was staying mm. home with our son. And I was like, man, and I told him, you can't tell me. I don't, I don't want to know any, anything about the first. Like if you see him take his first step, you better not tell me. If he says, you know, and I just thought about that. And I knew like, I, I remember making a commitment to myself. This was back in high school. And said, I know I'm going to be successful, but I don't want to be successful at the expense of my family. I had no family at this point, right? Back in right. high school. Um, but driving back into work, that came back up in my mind of like, hold on, you are out of alignment. Welcome to Smart Career and Money Moves, a podcast for professionals seeking fulfillment and purpose in their careers. Each week, we will sit down with experts and trailblazers to discuss the ups and downs of finding and following your passions, whether it's through climbing the corporate ladder, starting a business, or launching a side hustle. So let's get into the show. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Smart Career and Money Moves podcast. I'm super excited for our guest today. I actually met her at a business conference. We were both out trying to level up our businesses, and I'm sure she's going to have some tips for us today. She is a specialist in sales. We all love that. So today I have Miss Larielle Lipkin. She is a two-time author. She is a multi-six-figure business owner. She's helping sales teams and entrepreneurs close more sales. We love that. She has worked with companies like Indeed, WeWork, Oracle, Aflac, and Wells Fargo. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for joining today. We got a lot to unpack. And so what I like to do to start the show, my smartest career and money move was? Betting on myself. Um, I think typically when we hear that it's, you know, starting your own business. But I even think when I was working in corporate, I shifted and pivoted within my role in one organization and moved from marketing to sales. So even within an organization, betting on myself and saying, okay, I can develop a new skill set was huge, which then 10 years later allowed me to pivot and start my own business. And we're going to dive so deep into that. I'm glad you started with the corporate piece because that's where I like to start because I want people to understand the journey, right? You don't just say you're going to start a business and the next year is multi six figures, right? Yeah. So what's Alario's background? Let's talk about where you started in the corporate space. Yeah. So funny enough, I started as a marketing intern at a sales training company. 
And when I was applying, I didn't really know what they did. I understood the role, but I didn't really understand what the organization did because it wasn't it wasn't laid out very clearly. And to be 100% honest, I took the job kind of as the stepping stone where I was still applying for other jobs, my dream job. And so I thought. And so I started working there and I was there for maybe six to nine months. And I was talking to the CEO and I asked him, you know, what are the goals of the organization? Where do you see the business in five to 10 years? And he just kind of looked at me and he's like, I'm going to end up selling you this business one day. And I was like, hold up, sir. (laughs) I'm only six to nine months in. What are you talking about? Plus I was on the marketing side of the business and I had, I wanted nothing to do with sales. I was terrified of selling. I wanted to be the behind the scenes, do lead generation, welcome people to events, but I did not want to be in front of like an audience or training people. And fast forward probably a year and a half after that, we were sitting down to go over my annual review. And he was really big into personal goal setting. And he looked at my goals and then he said, you're expensive. And he's like, (laughs) and he said, "Um, if you want to be able to do those things, you're going to have to make more money and you're not going to make it in marketing. You're going to have to make it in sale. And so that's when I pivoted. And from there, I never looked back. I transitioned out of marketing into sales and learned how to sell, right? Which I think is really important because a lot of people had the mindset that I had initially that either you're born knowing how to sell or some people just have better personalities for selling. And I was the complete opposite. And so I learned that sales has a process. So I stayed there to 2018. And then it was one of those things where I just knew I had outgrown where I was at. And I was trying to make it work. And then things just started to happen. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where it's like, you know, you need to move, but you're not going to move on your own. So things start to happen that kind of pushes you. And so November 12th, 2018, I resigned and started my business. And so how long had you been at that company? 10 years. 10 years. Okay. So you have a unique situation. You only were ever worked for one place. Yeah. Like in the corporate side. Now, going through college, you know, I worked at different jobs, but in a corporate setting, worked at one job 10 years and then started my own thing. Wow. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about uh, before we jump into your own thing, because you started as a marketing intern and then you ended up as a managing partner. Correct. So what was that transition like? Because you rose through, you know, several levels. And what I think was cool is that you said, basically, you know, a leader at the company saw something in you that you didn't even see in yourself. So kind of talk me through what your experience was like there. Yes, I went from a marketing intern to then I became the director of marketing. So then I had two people that were underneath me. Then I moved to what we called an associate. So that's going to be somebody who's going to be selling. And then we put together a transitional or succession plan between the CEO and myself. And then that's when I became managing partner. As we were working with an organization that was going to help us through that succession plan, I just realized that my goals and his goals were a little bit different. And I just kind of felt like what the carrot that was being dangled wasn't the right carrot, right? That certain things were being positioned a certain way. And, you know, you just have those senses where something is off and you can't really put your finger on it. That's kind of where I was at. So it was a series of roles where I had to really learn from the ground up, like on the job training. 
And I think one of the things that helped me make those transitions is one, really being committed to the bigger picture and not being so locked in and focused on like the one thing I thought I was going to be able that I wanted to do. And then being willing to be a beginner again, right? Like once you get good at something, it can be very scary and feel very risky. So then like kind of pivot and learn something new. And so I was coming a beginner, right? So marketing and starting beginner to marketing director, director of marketing. I had never managed people at that point. I'm a beginner. So now I'm moving into sales. I'm a beginner again. So then learning how to manage his team and really think more strategic. And then transition to my business. I started all over again. And so, but I think that kind of beginner's I don't want to say beginner's luck, but when you don't know what you're doing and you just have that hunger and that desire to get better, it's often better than just having years and years of experience in something. And so um, it was a bunch of transitions and a bunch of outgrowing myself. I think sometimes we can get very stagnant and get in our comfort zone. And I had to say, okay, if you want to get to the next level in your career, it's going to require you to outgrow yourself. And because my compensation changed as well, right? Going from uh, getting paid on the 1st and the 15th, and I know how much I'm getting paid to now getting paid for performance. That was a huge shift. So as the managing partner, you were getting paid for? Paid for performance, right? So my compensation changed from salary to some salary, but mainly commission, mainly incentive, mainly bonus. So I had to perform. So that's risky, right? When you have bills and responsibilities and children and, but I had to be willing to say, I believe that I can make more money on this, uh, this compensation, which I did, right? I mean, 10X. Okay. Yeah. 10X in 10 years is major. One thing that you said that I want to get a little more detail on is you said you were focused on the big picture. And I think I want to get some clarity around that because that's something I have to remind my clients about all the time as they're moving through their careers. It's not about, you know, the day-to-day tasks that you're doing. So when you say big picture, big picture for L'Oreal, big picture for the organization. Both, but to be quite honest, more so for myself, right? That I knew that if I wanted to create the life that I said that I wanted, it was going to require me to play bigger than I was playing in that moment. And so there were opportunities that were presented to me that I wanted to say no to um, just on my gut instinct because I didn't feel like I was qualified. I did not have the experience. And if I was left to my own device uh, devices, I probably would have talked myself out of it. But then when I go back to having like a support system, whether it was in the organization or at home or community, it was like, I would tell people about the opportunity and they'd be like, you are silly if you do not take advantage of that. Like, forget how you feel in this moment. You've got to think about the lifestyle, the legacy and the future that you're trying to create for your family. And that I had to to also realize that not all those opportunities come twice. And to really seize the moment. And I think that's where that kind of expansive mindset has to kick in. And to be honest, like I started reading a lot of books to expose myself to other things, just like what I could really do, right? It's one thing to like want something. And then it's a different thing to be like, I can actually do that, right? So I think I wanted things, but then realizing like it is, it is much closer than you think. If you take this step, that was like paradigm shift. Yeah. And, and people talk about how important mindset is. And it sounds like 
just cliche, right? Like mindset, mindset. But like when you, like you're talking about like pushing yourself and moving through barriers, you know, that we essentially have placed on ourselves. Absolutely. And then, then you don't even realize it until like you say, somebody says to you, you're crazy. This opportunity is here for you. You need to jump on it. So I love that. So it sounds like corporate career is like, you're killing it. What changed? What led you to step away? Yeah. About 2015, I started to feel like I was just checking the box, right? Like I was chasing other people's idea of success. I had the the money, the house, the cars, the vacations, traveling, all of that. And I remember one day just feeling like, is this it? And then I felt bad for wanting more, right? Because I felt like I was doing well. And I mean, I was, I was in my 20s at this point. I was doing really well. I was already making six figures. Like everything, like on paper, I should have been satisfied. So I felt this sense of guilt for wanting more. In 2016, I remember coming back from maternity leave and driving into work and crying all the way there and thinking about all the memories that I was going to miss. And my husband was staying home with our son. And I was like, man, and I told him, you can't tell me I don't want to know anything about the first. Like, if you see him take his first step, you better not tell me. If he says, you know, and I just thought about that. And I knew, like, I remember making a commitment to myself. This was back in high school. I said, I know I'm going to be successful, but I don't want to be successful at the expense of my family. I had no family at this point, right, back in high school. But driving back into work, that came back up in my mind of, like, hold on. You are out of alignment. And I'm like, I am sacrificing the things. It doesn't matter how much financial success that you have if you don't have that personal success. And I just felt out of alignment. That was 2016. 2018, there was a situation that arose with my son and I resigned like two days later. And it was, I was traveling. I was on the plane. I was in New York probably two to three times a a month. I was in Dallas at the time. My husband picks me up from the airport And I have a three-year-old at this point. The airplane flies over and my son goes, there's mommy. And I'm like, no, mommy's right here. And my husband says, well, he says that every time he sees a plane. And that's because I was gone so much. And I was like, I can't do this. So I resigned. So you were gone two or three times a week or a month? A month in New York. Okay, okay. Yeah, two to four times, two to four days at a time. So... I just knew that that was not going to be sustainable. And it's just so weird. We all change after maternity leave. Yeah. I went went through a whole transition myself after maternity leave. And so that's such an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that and being so transparent that you can reach success in corporate and still feel like something is missing. I guess I want to kind of ask you, do you think... Everybody goes through that once they reach like some sort of height in corporate. Is everybody starting to look around like what else is there? Because I'm bored. (laughs) I think so. I think what I was missing was like fulfillment and I was no longer being challenged. Right. So what I mean by that is I don't think that everybody's solution is necessarily I need to start my own thing. Sometimes it is a different organization. Sometimes it's just no longer a cultural fit. Sometimes it's a new role. Sometimes it's a new location, a new, like whatever it might be. But I think everybody kind of gets to this point where you start really looking around. 
And I think we saw that, especially with the pandemic, where people are like, hold on, hold up, hold up, hold up, right? Now we have this pause. And I think people really did start to look at their careers a little bit different and think about what am I actually trading off and is it worth So you got to your breaking point. You're like, I want my son to know I'm here on the ground, not in a plane. (laughs) And so did you take any time off or did you immediately jump into launching your own thing? What was that period like? What I did is I started writing a book (laughs) and I had a non-compete for a year. So I could not do sales training for a year after building relationships and building a brand and building kind of a book of business for 10 years. And so that year in between, I did take a little bit of time off just to like process. And we also had some legal things going on with my contracts and compensation. So it was like six to eight weeks of just an emotional roller coaster. And so it got really ugly. And so after that, I had no intentions whatsoever of ever getting back into sales training because it just got so nasty. And so I was actually glad at that point that I had a non-compete because I was like, I am done. If this is what it's like, I don't want to do it. And I reflected on all the things and all the times I was on that plane and working for that organization. And it was like, and this is how it ends. And so I wanted nothing to do with it. So January, I started writing. So January 2019, started writing a book published that April 2019, and really went head in into teaching and working with professional women on achieving their goals. So I was all about helping professional women who are typically in male-dominated spaces kind of navigate that and how to not be in a position where they felt like their only option was to leave and to get clarity about what they really value. And I started to love that work, but it seemed as my non-compete came to an end, like clients started, like old clients started reaching out to me and I felt like this pull back into sales and I was really resistant. And my husband was looking at me like, listen, I'm all about you doing your own thing, ma'am, but these are opportunities that are presenting themselves for a reason. And then I slowly transitioned back into doing, doing sales training, which is what I do now full time. Okay. So it came for you. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't plan on getting back into sales. It came for you. I did not. Okay. So tell us about the Lipkins Consulting Group. We keep talking about it on the low, but tell us about it. (laughs) Yeah. So I really work with uh, sales teams and entrepreneurs and teaching them how to convert prospects to paying clients. So I work with corporate sales teams, often in the B2B space where I'm training their sales teams, training sales organizations, building systems and processes for sales teams that are looking to grow and scale. And then funny enough, probably 18 months or so into just working with sales teams, I started to network with more female entrepreneurs as a female entrepreneur myself. And every time I would tell them what I did, I'm like, oh yeah, I do sales training and consulting. And they would kind of look at me like I was crazy. And then they would talk about how much they didn't like sales. And and that, so that naturally kind of spurred this desire to work with more female entrepreneurs because I don't know if you know this, but about 86% of women-owned businesses never make six figures, which is mind-blowing. And it kind of like ticked me off. And I'm like, listen, it's not because they don't have expertise. It's not because they don't have experience. They are great at what they do. And oftentimes we come from corporate where we were using our skills and we were the people doing the work. And now you start this business and you're like, oh, but I never had to sell 
I never had to get clients. I just executed. And so then I started an accelerator for female entrepreneurs, particularly coaches and consultants, teaching them how to do high ticket sales. I love that. Here's the cheat code to making a career pivot or to getting promoted. First, you need the skills to do the job or the ability to learn how to. Second, you have to be able to market and sell yourself as the best candidate for the job. I created the Career Brand Accelerator as a professional development program to help you become a master at marketing and selling your skills so that you will always have the tools you need to make a career change. Because let's be honest, it's easy to get a new degree or certification or even to revamp your resume, but nothing quite prepares you for establishing your brand and for finding out what makes you unique so that you can stand out from the other job candidates in today's competitive job market. I have good news for you. You don't have to navigate your career on your own. Visit thecareerbrandaccelerator.com to learn more about how to pivot into your next role and how to level up your career without new degrees and certifications and without applying for tons of jobs online. You know, what I kind of discovered just as I'm kind of trying to build my own business and everything is that in the Black community, right, everybody's, you know, promoting start your own business, start your own business. Nobody's talking about marketing. Nobody's talking about sales. Everybody is starting these businesses thinking that I'm trying to think of the book that calls that out, like the difference between being the executor and then actually driving the business. I'll find it later. But I kind of think that's what's keeping so many women stuck, you know, in the lower financial rungs is that you're thinking that you can just start a business and because I can, you know, do accounting or you know, whatever your skill is, is that somehow my business is going to survive when it's like, no, ma'am, if you're not doing the sales and the marketing, the yep. business is dead. Correct. Correct. You run, you so, run a nonprofit, right? You run a nonprofit. Yeah. Cause you are not going to be making money. Right. And it's like, people are just not going to find you out of nowhere. Like you have to show up and then you know, one of the things I'll see is a lot of people will spend time on the marketing piece. Like, you know, I'm showing up and I'm posting my reels and I'm on LinkedIn. I'm going like, I'm doing all of these things, but then they still don't know how to convert a conversation. And so it's like, you need to have both. You need to have leads. You need to have traffic. You need to have conversations. And you also need to be able to convert those to paying clients. But I think you're absolutely right. There's this, just start it and, you know, build it and they will come. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. You will find that out very quickly. Nobody's coming. <laughs> <laughs> you will find that out quickly. So how do we, my client base are, are corporate professionals. So what sales tactics can we be using to further ourselves in our corporate careers? Because a lot of people are afraid to sell themselves. Yeah, I was going to say, whether you are an entrepreneur selling in your business or you're a corporate professional, you still have to learn how to sell. Right, Whether that is selling your ideas in the boardroom or to a client, or whether it's selling your skills and your contributions when you are applying for a promotion or you're applying for another job. One of the, the key things that I think makes people really good at sales is the ability to ask really good questions. So whether you're, like I said, a corporate professional entrepreneur, can you ask questions that make people stop and think? Can you ask some questions that make them say, I've never been asked that. And even when I was applying for jobs prior to my first corporate job, 
I think it's one of my superpowers. So even when I was interviewing, I would have these really good questions where the interviewer would be looking at me like, hold on, man, where did you get that, right? It's not something you're going to find on Google. And so I think the more that you can ask really good questions. And then the other thing that I think is really helpful is being able to connect the dot, right? There's some people who can ask good questions where they can identify a gap or a pain point, let's say, even if you're in the corporate sphere, but they're not good at connecting the dots. So if I'm asking a question, hypothetically, let's say in an interview, can I connect back the dots between those gaps that I identified in my skill set where people don't have to spend the mental energy trying to connect the dots? Um, The more that people have to work and, and connecting them, I have 20 other things on my list. It's your job to connect the dots for people. So those would be two things that I think corporate professionals can use. Ask really good questions that make people pause and think. And you know it's a good question when they have to go, huh, let me think about that for a second. And then two, get really good at connecting the dots between the gap and then what you can bring to the table. I love that. Thank you for those tips. What do you say about the fear, though? Because I, you just broke it down and made it sound very simple. It's like ask good questions, connect the dots. But for some reason, even when you mention selling yourself or promoting yourself, people get scared. They feel icky. Like, how do we push past that? I think it's focusing less on yourself and focusing more on the outcome. Right. And I see this even with female entrepreneurs. Right. And I think I'll tell it on this side because I think it translates. I'll talk to a female entrepreneur and she's like, I just love helping people. I just love doing what I do. And I just, and then I was like, what, what's your fear of selling? Well, I don't want people to think I'm selling. I don't want people, you are focused too much on you. So you think that you don't want to sell because you feel selling is bad for the person, but you say you want to help. The only way you're going to be able to help is to provide value and you provide value through selling, right? And so I think a lot of times when we think about selling ourselves or selling our services, we're more focused on what we get versus understanding that sales is a value exchange. There's something that they get. When I am selling my idea in a boardroom or I'm selling to a client, there is a problem that I'm solving for them. And if I don't do that, they don't get value. If I don't do that, they don't get helped. If I don't do that, my company still struggles with a problem that I am capable of solving. So I think the less that you actually focus on yourself and focus on what's the value that I can bring, what's the problem that I can solve, what's the value, what's the gap that I can fix, then you're not focused on what other people might be thinking about you. So that would be how I personally get over the fear. It's like, it's not about you. People don't want to sell because... They think that not selling yourself is actually being selfish. Let me put it that way. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> right. Not selling what you do, not presenting your ideas, not speaking up about your contributions that you made on a particular project is actually selfish because there's a gap that you can fix and no one knows that if you don't voice it, no one can um, implement your ideas if you never share it. And so we get, if we let focus less on like what people are going to think and focus more on what value can I bring to the table, selling becomes easy because it's a win-win. And I think oftentimes when we think about selling, we just think about what we get. When, when you do selling right, they get something far more valuable often than even what you got. (laughs) I'll give you a quick example. I was talking to a client recently and I was doing a case study. And one of the reasons they originally reached out to me was their team was discounting. But when I'm doing this case study, I'm interviewing him. And I say, what transformations has your business had? Not once, Jerry, not in 30 minutes that he mentioned anything about discounting. 
So I said, Brian, well, originally, when you reached out to me, the biggest challenge was discounting. How's that going? He was like, oh, we don't discount anymore. He was like, in fact, we raise our prices. And I said, well, if you had to quantify how much is added to the bottom line with you not discounting, what would you say? He said, easily 400000 Now, listen, I did not charge him $400,000, right? That right. means that the value was much bigger than the investment that he made. So whether you're an entrepreneur, when you think about it that way, like they're investing in themselves and then there should be a return that's much greater. But that also works with corporate professionals. When you give that idea or you say, I'm going to take on that project or you get that new role, the value that you bring to the organization is probably 10x, 20x than what, what they're paying you, to be quite honestly. Right. And so, again, when we focus less on ourselves and focus more on like, what's the value? Selling becomes easy. You've read probably way more books about sales than I have. Where does that feeling come from that sales is wrong and dirty? Like, where does that stem from? <laughs> I think it's twofold. One, our experience with people who have taken that approach. And I understand from like, there was a time where it was doggy dog world, right? And sales was manipulative. I think in today, today's world, there's been a big shift and understanding what sales actually is and that sales is nothing more than a communication tool. Um, so I think part partially experience. And then the other thing is I think they're stereotypical things that have been passed down. And so even for myself, when I am a buyer, I am resistant to being sold. Even though immediately. I teach. Yeah, immediately. Yeah, but immediately, yeah. Right? So I think it's like we have been wired and it has been passed down just the idea of selling and that selling is bad. And then sometimes that is unfortunately reinforced with our experiences when we're purchasing something, that selling is bad. But when I tell people sales is a value exchange, they're like, what? You're getting something and they're getting something. I think oftentimes when we think about sales, we're just thinking I'm getting something. And then of course you're going to feel bad, right? Because there's the law of reciprocity. You give something, I get something, right? We both, we both win. But when you don't understand what sales is, you're only going to be thinking about what you get and it's going to feel one-sided. Yeah. And that, that certainly helped me. That mindset in and of itself is like when I'm, you know, on a sales call or having a potential sales conversation with someone, it's not even about the sale, right? It's like, what is their issue? Can I actually help them resolve this issue? And then if a sale takes place, you know, great, but it's really more so about, do they want to solve the problem? It's not really about whether they have the money, want to pay you the money. It's not about the money. Do they want to solve that problem? And I think that helps me personally with rejection. What tools do you have for like, you know, now I finally mustered up the courage to try to make these sales. And then people are rejecting me. And how do I push through that? Yeah. Well, one, I think a lot of times when people aren't converting, um, it's their process. And when you don't have a process, you're going to take it personal. If I have a process and it doesn't lead to conversion, then I'll say, I need to tweak the process. If I don't have a process and I don't convert, I go, I'm not good at sales. I'm not cut out for this. People, I didn't do a good job. And so one, as I would say, before you get all in your head, is like, do I actually have a repeatable process? Or is every conversation that I'm having with a potential client, does it feel brand new? Do I know what my steps are? 
Not that I want to be a robot and having a conversation, but I do need a roadmap. Not only for me, but your prospect is going to appreciate that because you're not wasting anybody's time. And then the second thing is remembering sales is not about convincing anybody. I hear that all the time. Well, I just need help convincing. No, we are not convincing anybody of anything. It's can I ask the right questions to understand what their problem is? Is it a problem that I have the capability and expertise to actually solve? Do they need to solve it? Because sometimes they want to solve it, but don't need to solve it. And are they committed to making investments and making it happen? If not, it was great having a conversation with you. But okay, let's move on. I don't take no's or rejection personally. I just look at how do I need to tweak my process? What could I have done differently? I love that. I have a selfish question Uh, (laughs) because I want to move into the B2B space. Yeah. And so, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners, you know, as they want to start a business, they may want to go after the B2B market. What advice do you have for new business owners going after corporate clients or, you know, moving past, you know, the, the consumer level? Yeah. You know what I would say? One of the things that often comes up when I talk about corporate clients, because that's like 90% of my business, people have this idea of what corporate means. So like, although I've worked with Indeed, we work Oracle, all of those organizations, it's oftentimes the small to mid-sized or mid-market companies that are really the bulk of my corporate deals. And quite often they actually invest more than really large enterprise organizations. So one big shift that I always tell people when they want to get into the corporate space is to expand their idea of what they think corporate actually means. I've had clients that are a $5 million company that pay three times the investment as a $1 billion company. Facts, right? Because it's easier for them to navigate. It's easier for them to find the money. And quite frankly, they need to make the investment more than a $1 billion organization. Um, So I would say one, expand your idea of what corporate means. And then two is really going back and thinking about what are the gaps and what's the payoff. When I'm doing a corporate deal, my deals, I don't put that much more effort into it. It does not require me that much more effort to close a corporate deal as it does to close an individual. Quite frankly, corporate deals often close faster because they have budget, they have it allocated, they want to talk about money. And they're like, okay. And it's not their money. It's not not their their money. money. (laughs) Right? So I can close a $60,000 deal in a 45-minute, 60-minute conversation and then talk to somebody about a $7,500 coaching program. And it's like, uh, (laughs) because it is their money. And the $60,000 deal will close faster and easier. And they have the resources to implement what it is that I'm giving them versus oftentimes when I'm doing coaching, I'm having to be a lot more hands on with them. So yeah, one, shift your idea, expand your idea of what you think corporate is. Number two is be thinking about what's the payoff? Like what problem are you actually solving for people? And then the third thing I would say is you definitely need a sales process when you're selling to to corporate. All the other stuff that people tell you, like you don't need a fancy website. My website was real janky up until like two weeks ago (laughs) and I closed deals. I was closing corporate deals before I had, I don't recommend this, but before I had my LLC, before I had an EIN, before I was like, I'm not even woman owned certified. Like you don't need all those certifications that people will tell you that you need to do business with corporate. Do they help because it helps for their financials? Yeah, but it's not necessary. 
So you talked about, like, as we were moving through your story, you were talking about being aware of the value that you bring, pushing yourself through new opportunities that you may not think you're ready for, et cetera. It sounds like you have mastered or thrown away, I should say, imposter syndrome. What tips or what what do you say to somebody who is stuck? You know, they're in that place that you were. You're like, this corporate career is something's not working here. I need to do something else. What do you say to somebody that's stuck? They know they need to do something else, but they don't know what to do. Do or something they're, else. They're, you know, do something else, right? Because <laughs> here's the deal. <laughs> it's not that I don't have, I have moments where imposter syndrome comes up or self-doubt comes up. Like I raise my prices. I've raised my speaker fee. It's four times today what it was 24 months ago. And I just closed the deal of my new speaker fee. And I was like, oh, right. And saying it out loud. But again, I'm more committed to the bigger vision than how I feel in that very moment. The other deal is I'm clear in the payoff that my clients are going to get, which is going to make me, which helps me be more confident in my pricing and things like that. But the other thing is I think we often, when we're feeling stuck, we know what to do. We know what it, we could Google 10 steps on how to do anything. It's the fear of doing because we want to have it perfect and we don't know what the outcome is. So when I feel that fear, and this is going to sound so cliche, but I do it anyway. I legit do it anyway for for the last kind of 24 months until recently, I've been wanting to get my speaker fee at a, a certain price point. And every time when it came to the price point, I would do like, I would raise it by $2,500 each time. But then I got to this one piece where I was like, no, this is what I want it to be. And I was terrified. So I was on a call and I gave him my old price. And I was like, listen, you are never going to get to the price that you want until you say the price that you want. Like we can make it a lot more complicated and say, here's four steps that you could know. You already know what it is that you need to do. Focus on the next step, right? I think the other thing that another reason why people have imposter syndrome is they're on step one and they're worried about what they're going to do with step 10. You're not at step 10. You need to be focused on how to execute step one. And as you get to step one, to step two, to step three, to step four, you will then be prepared mentally, emotionally, and intellectually to execute a step 10. But focus on the step that you're at. Yeah. Focus on what's right in front of you. Yes. So you said your smartest career money move was betting on yourself. Yeah. How would you describe the benefits, the wins, the gains that you've you know, seen since you decided to bet on yourself? Obviously financial, but beyond that, I think financial is probably the least important of the gains and the wins. I think it's the realization that I can do this. I have more power than I give myself credit for. My husband and I were talking the other day because it's tax time, right? So you're getting all, all your documents and 1099s and all of that in. And I've got a stack of like 20 from corporate clients from last year. And I looked at him and I'm like, it's mind blowing that I didn't think that this could be a reality. So yes, there's financial wins, but I think my biggest win, my biggest gain, the thing that I am most proud of is doing it and proving it to myself that I could do it. And then everything else is a bonus. When I tell my husband, I'm like, we've been out here 
because he's an entrepreneur too, four years without like a real job, right? And we've got mortgage and kids and we've been able to do, and I'm like, I am proud of the life that we are building. So I would say that that's the biggest deal, right? It just reinforces to me what I am capable of when I just lean in. I'm super motivated. Like I, I'm ready to get off this call and go make some sales <laughs> calls. Like, I need to get to it because I've been just a little bit slack, just a slow start to the year. Yeah, but I need to get it together. I, this is the conversation that I needed to hear. So let's talk about this book. You got an amazing book coming out. It's actually out now as this episode is airing. So tell us about the book. Where can we find it? What's in it? All the things. Yep. So I have a, uh, my new book is called What Top Performing Salespeople Do Different. So it really focuses on 10 things that I've noticed about people who are really exceptional at sales in comparison to average people who are underperformers. So I break down 10 things that you can implement to be success, successful in any economy, right? Obviously, there's this looming recession that's supposed to be coming, um, but really good salespeople or people who develop their sales skills can learn how to sell regardless of what the economy is. So you can find it at topperformingsalespeople.com. And uh, I'm really excited. Like this has been several years in the making. So to go from like, I am done with sales training, I'm done with consulting to like, oh, I'm actually writing a book about it was again, one of those proud moments because I was terrified of like putting this out there, right? And sharing your work or sharing my work. And I'm like, I'm called for this. This next season of my career, of my business requires a bigger version of me. And so I know that in order to be able to scale, I can't just be doing the consulting. I need to productize my expertise and my information. And a book is one way to do that. Um, and it allows me to share all my experiences after training 10,000 salespeople over the last 13 years and help people that are in the field struggling with how to, to do sales on a day-to-day -day basis. So where can we follow you, support you, hear more from you? You did nothing but drop gems today. And I know people <laughs> want to hear more. So where can we find and support you? Yep. The best place is uh, going to be on LinkedIn. So you can just look up my name or on my website, LarielLipkins.com. Just continue the conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest. Like, I love doing these episodes with people where I'm like, I have all these selfish questions. Like I really, I'm asking stuff that I want to know, but it's been so fun. Thank you so much. I can't wait to get my book. I'm requesting a signed copy. All right. Perfect. And I'm super proud of you, Jerry. Like the information I follow you, even though I'm not in STEM, right? I follow you. I, I get on your lives and you oh, are you. making a difference. And I am so glad that you are going to be able to reach an even broader audience with your podcast. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you love this episode as much as I did, be sure to hit the subscribe button, leave a five-star review, or share this podcast with those in your network that are striving to make smart career and money moves. Till next week. Bye.